You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show, for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. I hope people took the time to listen to our show yesterday. Uh, I, I thought it was important, and obviously the network as a whole thought it was important. Uh, David Locke, who started the Lockdown Podcast Network, sent an email earlier this week and said, silence is a choice. And it's not a choice that we're going to make. So while I understand that that yesterday's show is not going to be something that everyone took the time to listen to, it's not going to be something that everyone uh, sought out and and carved out the necessary time and and brain equity to tackle, um, I hope that if you haven't, that you will, and that if you will, you found it useful. Uh, I know that that I found it useful, and I've, I've already had conversations with some of the guys who were part of that roundtable um, to further uh, my own understanding and growth as I try and, and tackle the blind spots that I have in, in my life when it comes to race and, and the things that I just frankly don't understand. So uh, I hope that, that that was something that people found enlightening. I did get some nice messages about it, so thank you for those who passed those along. We're going to be talking about a number of different things today, offensive identity, We're going to talk about Jerry Gray, the new Packers defensive backs coach, and what it means for a young, talented secondary. And then a a brief conversation about Lane Taylor and Billy Turner and a potential uh, fight for that right guard spot. I wrote for Packer Report earlier this week an article about how the Packers can ease the transition to LaFleur's offensive vision. When we talk about the Packers and the growth of their offense, we often discuss the evolution beyond the Mike McCarthy offense to a Matt LaFleur offense. And when you look back at what we saw in 2019, I think it's clear one of the reasons that we didn't see a move as far afield from the McCarthy philosophy is that the Packers were actually good at a lot of the things that Mike McCarthy Valued that Mike McCarthy wanted to do. One of those things is he threw on early downs. The Packers have now decided that they're going to throw on early downs. And Green Bay was a top five offense by EPA per play last year on early downs. They threw a lot on early downs. They were the third most pass heavy team in the league on early downs. To give you some context for that, LaFleur's Titans two years ago were 31st. The Titans last year were 29th. So it's not something that is necessarily in the philosophy of his offense. Kyle Shanahan, they were 24th 
in early passing offense this last season. Matt LaFleur did say that he cares about winning more than how many times they run the ball, and that tracks. They were good at throwing the ball early, so they continued to do it. They were also bad at play action, and they probably would have done it more if they were better at it. Rodgers, according to Shell Kapadia from The Athletic, was 27th in estimated points added per dropback on play action. That's really bad. They were 12th in usage. So they were an above-average team using play action, but a well-below-average team, in fact, one of the worst teams in the league, at executing play action. Now, there's a reason for this, and we're going to get to it in a second. We have this idea that the Packers are going to suddenly become this big personnel offense. Well, they used 11 personnel, three receivers, one tight end, one running back at a 3-to-1 clip over the next most-used personnel grouping, and it was their best by success rate personnel grouping. They had a 48% success rate, according to Sharp Football Stats, a 46% rate out of 12 personnel. And that gap may not seem very big, and it's not, statistically speaking. But by league averages, they were above average using 11 personnel and below average using 12 personnel. There is a way here, a path forward to blend the approach of Mike McCarthy and Matt LaFleur to take what the Packers were already good at and blend it with what Matt LaFleur wants to be. Only the Cowboys had a better success rate running out of that three-receiver set than the Packers last year. The Packers led the league In productivity, EPA per rush from shotgun. That is a Mike McCarthy staple. They were 23rd in EPA per rush and last out of 21 personnel. They were 23rd in 12 personnel with two tight ends. That means playing from a philosophical standpoint the way LaFleur wants to play. They just weren't as good. But there is a way to do both. It's a three-pronged approach. Utilize shotgun more often from big personnel. So instead of going with traditional heavy personnel, two tight ends or two running backs, and trying to hit shot plays off that, go shotgun. Flex a tight end out. Sharp football stats suggests that has a bigger advantage than trying to go play action out of 12 personnel. There's also a bigger advantage gleaned from playing under center in those three receiver sets. So while the Packers are great out of shotgun, and they can use that to their advantage in those big personnel sets, out of 11 personnel, if they play more under center, they can create more opportunities for their offense in the run and the passing game. And this tracks. Think about it. If you have Aaron Rodgers under center and three receivers on the field, the defense has to be in smaller personnel. They've got to be a nickel. So you take a linebacker off the field or you take a defensive lineman off the field and now you've got a smaller front for someone like Aaron Jones to attack. The Packers were sixth in EPA per rush out of 11 personnel last year. Part of that is because they ran from shotgun a lot but also from under center. Do that a little bit more and then use your play action game off of that because when you're using heavy personnel, when you've got two tight ends on the field or two running backs on the field and you're going play action, traditionally what you're doing 
is setting up shot plays. This is what the Packers love to do. Heavy personnel, two receivers in the formation, and you try and create it so that if one of the safeties or the linebackers bites up, you have a window and a, a potentially big play. But if you make that same scenario out of a three-receiver set, yes, they have more personnel on the field to combat that throw, but if you then use that play-action fake, Aaron Jones is so good from those spread looks. The linebackers can't be right because if they crash on Aaron Jones, you have the opportunity to hit a play in the middle of the field behind them for a chunk play. And if they don't, Aaron Jones has got five yards before they even know how to react. So now you're putting the defense in a bind. And then if you take those two things, so number one, utilize shotgun more with big personnel. You've got Jay Sternberger on the field. You've got Mercedes Lewis on the field. Now you're forcing linebackers to cover in space. You don't give them the option to play the way that the Packers often do, and that is with their smaller personnel on the field because you're in heavy personnel. So why would you combat 12 with nickel? It doesn't make any sense. Now, the Packers do it, and I actually I actually think it does make sense, but most teams don't think that way because they're worried about the run game. They're worried about matching big with big. Now, what you can do is if a team does go small, if, if a team treats you like the Packers would treat you. Now you can do what you're good at and run from shotgun. And you've got big people on the field. You have the chance to take advantage of smaller personnel in front of you. And you've created mismatches now out of every single formation that you run. With the Packers last year, they couldn't do that because Jimmy Graham was such a liability as a blocker. And they didn't always deploy their personnel in the most advantageous situations. If you take those two prongs and then add the aggressiveness that is required on early downs, stay aggressive, don't run the ball too much early, but keep giving Aaron Rodgers those RPOs, the chance to attack weak spots, to say this is where the defense is vulnerable, so it can be attacked either on the ground or the pass, depending on where the numbers are. Because the Packers, for some of their flaws last year on play action, they were able to effectively use RPOs in terms of their success rate last year. That is without guys on the field who were great run-after-catch players. Now do some of those same things out of 21 personnel and get some of those guys on early downs, RPOs, get the ball into Aaron Jones' hands, into A.J. Dillon's hands, into Jamal Williams' hands. Jay Sternberger has a chance to be special after the catch. Josiah DeGuara can make plays after the catch with his athleticism. A couple small tweaks, and all of a sudden, they can take the things that made them so good with Mike McCarthy and translate it into success with Matt LaFleur. But it can be confusing. Not as confusing as buying car parts, but confusing. And if you are struggling... It's not surprising. Buying car parts is incredibly difficult. It's seemingly impossible to keep up with the makes and the models and the stock. Everyone has to be an expert, even if you're not. And at a lot of chain stores, they've got different pricing for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. RockAuto.com doesn't think that's fair. Their prices are the same for everybody, and they're reliably 
low. This is a family business serving auto part customers online for 20 years. So go to rockauto.com and shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers from a company that actually cares about its customers. The catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, as I said, Rock Auto always has the lowest prices, the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same part? Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car and truck and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com And while you need auto parts to make your car work, you always need a little bit of swag, a little bit of extra team spirit to be a complete fan, and that's why Bobbles Galore wants to help you. They're the leading bobblehead retailer in the country with a vast inventory of bobbleheads from all the major sports leagues, including your favorites, the Packers, the Brewers, the Bucks, and that's because they're officially licensed by the major sports leagues, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NFL right now in limited quantities. We're talking individually numbered. They have a triple MVP Wisconsin puzzle bobblehead that showcases Giannis, Aaron Rodgers, and Christian Yelich as well. For our Bucks fans, they have another limited edition piece, the Greek flag Giannis bobblehead. Both include an augmented reality experience via Bobble Galore's unique AR Bobbles app. They also have a super friendly chat feature on the website so that you're always in touch with someone who can help answer any questions that you may have. Bobbles Galore can also make custom bobbleheads for any occasion or event. Visit bobblesgalore.com and use the promo code Locked On to get free shipping. New Packers DB coach Jerry Gray met with the media this week to discuss the status of the defensive backs. An extremely talented but young group. And it was easy to come away impressed and certainly easy to come away wondering how in the heck the Minnesota Vikings let Gray get away. One of the interesting nuggets that also came out of it was that Gray played for former Packers defensive coordinator Fritz Shermer when Gray was a player with the Rams in the 80s. Fritz Shermer, of course, the Packers defensive coordinator when they won the Super Bowl in 1996. But what stood out about Gray was when he talked about the different players He said his goal was to put them in a position for them to succeed. He mentioned that basically everyone in the room wants to play the slot, which is another way to get on the field and get more reps. Jair Alexander, of course, is ideally suited to it. But even Kevin King, according to Gray, said he wanted the chance to play in the slot. If you're King, you're going into the last year of your contract and you're hoping to carve out a niche with this team that makes you indispensable moving forward. Of course, Shannon Sullivan is the favorite for that job right now, and Tremont Williams could certainly still be in the mix at some point for a position like that. The question is, where does Josh Jackson fit into all of this? Because Josh Jackson is a player who is going into year three, a former second-round pick, a player that many thought, myself included, that he was a first-round talent. He didn't test spectacularly, and at a position where the stopwatch times matters, 
he was suboptimal in terms of the 40 in particular, 4-5 plus, and it shows up on tape. Now, as a rookie, he had a very slow start to the year, was very good in week one, but after that struggled just playing the ball in the air. And that was something at Iowa where he was really terrific. He was a playmaker, a ball hawk. That was why he got drafted. But it didn't consistently translate. And then the last month or so of the year, he started to play better. Injuries mounted. Tremont Williams moved to safety after they traded HaHa Clinton Dix. And Jackson was someone who suddenly became a reliable player, could play the slot, could play the boundary. Now, what's interesting is they played, the Packers did, more zone than man coverage last year. In fact, their number one most used coverage was cover three. And they were far better in zone than man, at least based on estimated points average. This according to the Athletics' Shale Kapadia. So then why isn't Josh Jackson getting more burn? He came out of Iowa as a predominant zone corner. That was going to be his role at the NFL. If he was going to be a starter for a team that played a lot of man coverage, he was going to have to figure that out. He was going to have to get better. He was going to have to find ways to improve there. And the reason it's so important for the Packers to see if Josh Jackson can play to get those opportunities and and why it's important that we ask these questions is because Kevin King is going into the final year of his contract. He is someone who has struggled to stay on the field in his career. And the Packers are going to have to make a decision on him next offseason. If Josh Jackson shows he can be a starting corner, if the Packers are going to be a team that does continue to play a lot of cover three, a lot of cover two, and a lot of cover four, they mixed in plenty of man last year. But if they're going to be a team that plays at least the most of anything else zone, then that offers a path forward for Josh Jackson. And as Gray said, he wants to put his guys in a position to succeed. Now, Kevin King and Jair Alexander are guys who can excel as man corners. Kadar Holman is someone who can play man, and Shannon Sullivan proved last year he can be a man cover corner. Jerry Gray comes from a system with Mike Zimmer in Minnesota, where they played a lot of man coverage. Now, they also played a lot of mixed coverage and a lot of disguise, and that's stuff that Mike Patton also loves to do. If there is a coach who can maximize Jackson, it's Gray. Look at his track record in Minnesota, the safeties that have come through there, Harrison Smith, Anthony Harris, Xavier Rhodes, the guys that he has helped elevate over the years. This is one of the best defensive backs coaches in football. And so he can help someone like Jair Alexander get to the next level, that that pro bowl, all pro type level. He can help Kevin King solidify himself as a cornerstone of this defense. We just don't know if these guys are capable of that yet. And with Josh Jackson, if he shows to be the player that he was in preseason that rookie year where he was outplaying Jair Alexander at times, certainly making more splash plays than Jair Alexander, then suddenly you have a much easier decision to make on Kevin King, particularly if he struggles. And in this case, struggling is struggling to stay on the field. Kevin King, we know, is a talented player, big, long, playmaking corner, but an inconsistent tackler and lacks the consistency to be a down-to-down impact player. Jair Alexander, Pro Football Focus, 
said yesterday was among league leaders in dropped interceptions. He could have led the team. Kevin King did instead. Josh Jackson is the kind of player who could do that. Now, there is the secondary option of, okay, Kevin King carves out a niche. He gets signed. Josh Jackson doesn't really have a pathway forward. Shannon Sullivan is the slot corner. They like Kadar Holman as a developmental player. So, okay, what does a three-safety package with Josh Jackson look like? Darnell Savage gets to play some in the slot. You've got interchangeable pieces. Is that something that could make sense for the Packers? Certainly something I think they'll look at if Kevin King and Josh Jackson each play well. That's the perfect scenario is they each play well and then you have a decision to make on two good players. But if Jackson doesn't come through, even if Kevin King is someone who proves to be worth re-signing long-term with another stellar season where he stays healthy, you're still looking at a lack of depth because we don't know what Kadar Holman is and the Packers could very much be in the market for a cornerback moving forward. And if you're in the market for a new adventure, consider the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where you can make all of that happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself what's your warrior and text ALPL to 462-769 to find out. That's ALPL to 462 Seven six nine. What's funny to me is two years ago in the offseason, I heard from a lot of fans that Lane Taylor just couldn't play. And Lane Taylor was bad, and the Packers really needed to get two new guards because Byron Bell was bad and was, was going out the door, and Lane Taylor uh, was coming off a, a struggling season and so they were just they were just screwed. Lane Taylor sucked. That was what I kept hearing from Packer fans. And then the Packers signed Billy Turner. They drafted Elton Jenkins. Lane Taylor loses his starting job. Jenkins becomes a borderline Pro Bowl player right away as a rookie. And, and Turner has an up-and-down season. I don't think he was nearly as bad as Packer fans would have you believe. I think a couple ugly misses, certainly in some national TV games. You know, Khalil Mack beats him. And that's something on national TV that's going to get attention. I, frankly, I think two years ago, Lane Taylor was better than Packer fans said. In fact, his ESPN pass block win rate reflects that. The losses he had were hurtful. And they were stark. When he would lose a rep, he would get whipped and it would be a sack or a pressure. And it would be like, oh, Lane Taylor does it again. Except over the course of the season, he was actually very consistent. It was just that his few mistakes happened to be big mistakes. I think Lane Taylor is a very good player, a very useful player. Each of Taylor and Turner have at one time or another been underrated by the Packers' collective fandom. Turner was better last year than has been said. Taylor is now viewed as someone who, by Packer fans at least, should be starting at right guard or should be given the opportunity to start a right guard. And and Matt LaFleur has made it clear that he believes in competition, that these opportunities will be given for people to compete for starting jobs. What I find fascinating is 
Lane Taylor was the guy who needed to be replaced, and now he seems to be so much better than Billy Turner. It's just not the case. They're pretty comparable players. Billy Turner's season last year is pretty comparable to what Lane Taylor was two years ago. Now, we've seen Lane Taylor be really good. He was quite good the two years prior, and a lot of Packer fans did not notice that. And frankly, a lot of media people and and NFL observers did not notice that. Lane Taylor had become a quality football player. The offensive line heads knew it. The complicating factor here is Billy Turner is a high-priced free agent and has become a leader on this football team. He has become a cultural touchstone now on this football team. And so it's not as simple as saying, oh, well, if Taylor is better, he deserves to start. No, it is not that simple. Dane Taylor reworked his contract to be making basically the minimum, you know, a million and a half. Billy Turner is making more than three times that at least in terms of the cap. So the Packers, when they signed Billy Turner, viewed him as a long-term starter. When the Packers signed Billy Turner and drafted Elton Jenkins in the same offseason, they made it pretty clear. They had a new plan at guard, and it didn't include Lane Taylor. Now, reworking his deal so that he can be on the team rather than just flat-out cut certainly speaks to an organization that wants him to be on the roster, but Offensive line depth is also important, and Lane Taylor can play tackle. So if Rick Wagner gets hurt, the Packers don't really have an intuitive fit other than either sliding Billy Turner out to tackle or letting Lane Taylor play tackle. I think we will see Billy Turner, as he did last year, taking offensive tackle reps so that if there is an injury or right tackle, Rick Wagner has had some issues staying healthy the last few years, then you can slide Turner out and Lane Taylor goes in. The Packers, in their preferences, have made it clear what they think the pecking order is. And so if you want to say sunk cost for Billy Turner when they signed the contract and the leverage that he had at the time and all that, I guess, I guess. But that that move at the time reflected a long-term preference. It's a four-year contract. And yeah, the Packers can get out of it after 2020, but it's still $4.5 million in dead cap that they have to eat to move on from that deal. They signed Billy Turner to be a part of this offensive line for a number of years, and in that, it speaks to how they feel about Lane Taylor, who is now making a fraction of the cost. If they thought Lane Taylor was a viable option, someone who could compete for for Billy Turner's spot, you don't really have to change his contract. Let him play on this deal, and now you, you have him with a chance to be a useful player for you if you think he can do that. If you think that he's mostly a backup, you renegotiate his deal at a small at a small cost with the understanding that if he doesn't renegotiate, you're going to cut him. You don't just say, oh, well, well, you either are going to be cut or you're going to come compete for the starting right guard job. It just doesn't work that way. And more than that, because of his, not just his financial, but leadership and cultural impact on this team, Lane Taylor would have to be significantly better than Turner to justify starting him. And that just seems unlikely. So I don't think we can even start to have this discussion unless and until someone gets hurt. That is the most likely scenario that 
we have for someone like Lane Taylor playing over Billy Turner. And I think right now that's just the reality of the situation. All right, we're going to be back next week. A lot more to get to. We're starting to, to come into focus in terms of what the Packers and all these teams are looking at for training camp, the dates, the times, the restrictions, and everything that, that we should be expecting. The NBA is going to be coming back around the same time. Uh, we'll see what baseball is happening. Uh, golf is back. Golf is back. The Premier League, soccer in England, that's all coming back. So, I mean, we're, we're on a track that has us ready. But as we're seeing in states, the coronavirus is not going away just because we want it to. So we still have to be smart. I hope you are being smart and safe and protecting not just yourself, but those around you. I also hope you'll subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, and wherever you find podcasts. I hope you'll follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski and the podcast at Locked on Packers. And I hope that if you have thoughts, concerns, questions, recipes you want to share for me in quarantine, that you do that on the Locked on Packers fan hotline 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers. Thank you.